This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Where would we be in this world, in this society, without women? I argue nowhere. You may or may not know that in the United States, March is Women's History Month, and it traces its beginnings back to the first International Women's Day back in 1911. In 1978, there was a school district in Sonoma, California that participated in Women's History Week, which was an event designed around the week of March 8th. March 8th, just a few days ago, was International Women's Day. So, in honor of Women's History Month, our guest in the studio is, get this, a woman. Yeah, you're laughing, I am too. Very special woman, new friend to the program, new friend to the radio stations, and she's written her first book. It's called When Jesus Isn't Enough, The Ultimate Meal. The author is Monica Matthews, and it's a book, she says, for all of those who feel lonely, empty, broken, forgotten, and starving for fulfillment in life. And Monica Matthews is our guest. That's uh, quite a tall order that you serve up in this very first book of yours. How did all of that come to be? And welcome to Perspectives. Well, thank you for having me, Condes. I'm really, really honored to be here. Um, Gosh. Okay, so that got started (laughs) Uh, once I realized that I was at my own well, kind of like in John 4 and 7 as the story of the woman at the well. And um, she met up with with the Lord mm-hmm. and he said to her, if you know, if you knew me, uh, the well of living waters and you drank from me, you would never thirst again. So I just come out of a horrific uh, breakup from a relationship I should not have been in to begin with and um, found myself really thirsty and parched and dehydrated and all those uh, all those good things that it, it really takes a catastrophe sometimes for us to realize just how many places in our lives are broken and so I just showed up at the well with all of my broken pieces and um, cried out to a God that I thought for sure it had just about enough of my uh, worldly shenanigans and uh, I was met with a spectacular um, unfolding of of a newfound relationship outside of religion but really more about relationship. So, folks, a little bit more about Monica Matthews. She is a radio host, an author, as we're talking about her book today, a Grammy-nominated vocal artist, musician. As you've just heard, she is very strong Christian, political and business consultant. Oh, and you tell your, you tell your, your folks on your website that you are a widowed mother of one amazing daughter. And you were telling me a little bit about your daughter yesterday, uh, that is the one thing in life you're supposed to get right, and it looks like you're doing a good job of that. Well, thank you. And again, I could not have done it without my faith because in the times when I couldn't pay bills, I couldn't keep the lights on, I wasn't sure how we were going to keep the water going, I couldn't pay for tuition. She was chronically ill for a number of years with ulcerative colitis, so almost lost her a few times to that dreadful disease. Um, had I not had my faith to turn to to say, okay, all the odds are against me. I'm alone. I've lost my husband. Um, I didn't really have a church that I was connected with at the time, Um, but I had my Bible and I had a book full of promises that I thought, well, you know, this is a fine time to start uh, believing. And so when people tell me what a wonderful job I've done with my daughter, I always give credit back to 
the keeper of the widow and the orphan and the fatherless because my daughter was fatherless. Um, but he always provided in the way of great people, um, creative financing, <laughs> creative resources, uh, taught me the meaning of what it is to be a charity case, which is really to be a love case. So once I realized that that word charity, because I love words, I'm a wordsmith, that charity really equals love. It, it took the shame out of the poverty that we were living in, which a lot of people live with in the dread, the regret, you know, all the self-accusation and people looking down on you and why don't you have a job and why don't you do this and why aren't you doing that? And I had a really sick child and I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have a lot I could fall back on. I couldn't go out and tour anymore. I couldn't sing. I couldn't rest on any of the laurels that I had rested on for the, for the majority of my life. So my daughter, I, always, I often say, is my greatest accomplishment to date because she's a sound young lady um, who has survived a dreadful illness and is now in college on the West Coast, doing very well. Have you always been such a strong woman of faith, thinking back to your childhood? Uh, that's a great question because on some level, I was raised in the Orthodox Church, my father was Greek, my mother's German, and we religiously went to church. I went to Sunday school, did all of that, painted all the pictures of Jesus, all the stuff you're supposed to do when you're little, all the Easter egg hunts and all of that. And I remember I'd sit out on my porch and look up at the sky and think, okay, there's something bigger than me. There's something more than all of this. So I've always been very curious about the spirit realm and what all of that means. Um, always had a reverence for something greater than me. But um, it stopped after I left church on Sunday as I got older. And as I lived more of life and, and things happened to me along the way that just really started um, incrementally uh, stripping away whatever little faith I thought I had built up and what I had deemed a good God, I started questioning how could there be a good God when this, this, and this is happening in my life. So it wasn't until I got, you know, I buried my husband, I got to the bottom of myself, I was engaged in all kinds of crazy behavior, which I talk about in the book, um, and I really looked in the mirror one morning and I was like, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. And unless the Lord, unless you show up right now and, and show me that you are who you are, that you exist, um, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it past this. Even with a child, I'm just not going to make it because there had just been loss after loss after loss. Um, and then I woke up realizing how much of myself I had lost in the process. So I literally opened my Bible and my little baptismal Bible that's like a King James version of thee, thou, this and that. That was all Chinese to me up to that, up to that moment in time. All the red letters. And it literally the words leapt off the pages to me and it just made sense and not only did it make sense but it penetrated you know my my worldly wisdom of making sense it wasn't academic anymore it wasn't um uh it wasn't waiting for my robe and banjo in the sky it wasn't some foreign place that i would eventually get to to meet this big angry god who was going to determine, you know, heaven or hell, and that was it. That's all I knew. It was, I was forgiven, I was acceptable, I was loved, um, I was needed. Um, all the things that, I was cleansed, 
Um, and I was given a hope and a promise. So my life started over. So would you say, Monica, that's the moment when you changed from being a religious woman to being a woman who had a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ? Yes. Yeah, it, 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 that was the moment that it stepped out of, um, you know, what time I should be at service, how many services I should go to, um, if I had crossed every T and dotted every I um, in appearances. And it really broke down to, I have nothing to offer. Absolutely zero. Um, I have less than zero to offer you. So that was the moment of surrender in my life where it was no longer what everyone else thought I should do. It was no longer, you know, what everyone else thought I should be. But I do attribute that moment to the fact that I was raised within a faith community and by parents who believed. Um, otherwise, I don't know that I would have uh, known that that, was, that that was an avenue that I should take. But I was legitimately at the end of myself. I was at the end of all of my comforts and um, addictions in the way of, you know, things that had fed me up to that point. Um, all of them were empty. And, so, and that wasn't the last time, you know, that's how I ended up at this book. It wasn't the last time. A lot of people that I ended up at that, at that empty place again. Um, and I talk about in the book how, how that becomes a pattern for people. Um, how, you know, I, I'd actually believed once saved, you know, that's it, that, you know, you're always saved and, and that's all you got to do is just believe in Jesus, <laughs> profess the Lord and that's it. And you certainly can. Um, but I found that without that relationship, you know, it's kind of like getting married and then never having dinner with your spouse, never having another conversation, never, um, being intimate with your spouse, never understanding their perspective, not communicating anymore. Um, and our faith can grow dull like that as well. Now you lost your husband to ALS. How old was your daughter uh, when he passed? She was three. So her memories of her dad are limited. Basically zero. She remembers his uh, funeral and um, but that was yeah that was it. So and we you know we talk a little bit about some of the you know as a young couple a quote godless couple you know there were some things that happened in our marriage that I talk about in the book um, that I had to make her aware of with the overarching goal being not to uncover her father's humanity or anyone else's humanity that I mentioned in the book as much as, hey, look, uh, we all are human. <laughs> but more importantly, we have this amazing God who covers all of our humanity. And so the book really is about redemption, that no matter how holy you're living right now or how unholy you're living, how close or how far away, um, he's the same God but he relates to us individually, right where we are. Did you know he was suffering from ALS when you guys married? No, oh, gosh, no. Um, uh, this form of neuromuscular disorders run in his family. So we knew that there that was came, a risk. Yeah, we knew that came down through his generations, but he was uh, an athlete. He was very fit, you know, just the pride of life. And, you know, he just landed a great job. We just got married. We just had our first child. Um, you know, height of his existence as a 30-year-old man and um, playing golf every weekend, like very healthy. And then we just started noticing subtle changes. And because he presented in such an atypical way, um, it was very difficult. We, we were sent to Emory, and that's where we spent most of our existence for the following three years. Um, 
but it was very difficult because of his clinical presentation to determine what it was. Mm-hmm. He literally would have, it was the fastest thing that they had ever witnessed, especially for someone his age. Um, but he would have passed within one month of his diagnosis. But we put him on life support because we weren't sure what he had. And we still weren't sure. He went to the Shepherd Spinal Center. They were fabulous to us, worked with us. Um, and we would see some improvement, and then it would just dissipate. So literally, you know, watched a very healthy, um, virile man, um, vibrant, just go from life to death and, and being feeble in, in a very short amount of time. So it really it did a number on me and a number of, of areas of, of my psyche, emotionally, spiritually, um, and thankfully. So because of that, I my daughter would visit on occasion, but it wasn't a regular practice um, because he really became unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. It is It is truly a disease that I would not wish upon my worst enemy. So it wasn't until post-mortem that we were able to determine that it was the the it was the most closely linked to ALS. Was that the most devastating thing that's ever happened to you in your life? I think so. Yes. Um, other than you know, in the book, I talk about things that happened to me. It's interesting because I talk about things that have happened to me sexually, uh, beginning from a very small child um, into my teens and into my adult life. It is. It's interesting. That's a very interesting question. No one's ever asked me that before. It was. It was probably more devastating to watch that happen to him because a, I didn't expect it. Um, I didn't see it coming. It was so gruesome to to watch, and it was so heartbreaking. Um, and it was a slow. It was a slow process of just watching someone else's life being taken from them. So, yeah. The book is When Jesus Isn't Enough. The author is Monica Matthews. You've alluded to a number of desperately honest things that you share and you reveal in your book, Monica. Who's this book for and what do you want readers to take away from it? This book particularly is really for single women who find themselves just unsatisfied going around the same mountains uh, of dating and dissatisfaction, of, of looking for themselves, you know, in their careers, in their wardrobes, in relationships, and ending up back in the same pile of rubble. Um, it's really for someone who, it, even it could be for someone who thinks they have it all together. It could be for someone who doesn't and who knows for sure that they don't. Someone who's afraid, someone who's not sure in this uncertain world that we live in of, you know, who's on their side, who really is protecting them at night. Um, who cares for their for their souls? Are you surprised that after being a widow for 17 years, you've not remarried? Was not that really. not your plan? <laughs> I don't know if I'm surprised as much as I am um, because I have been engaged. I did have a long-term relationship that I said yes to even though I knew I shouldn't. Um, and then that— And why it, did you know that you shouldn't say yes even though you did? Well, that's a good question. It was one of those— um, 
fairy tale relationships kind of where well it's it's what we buy into anyway that it's got to be this tension and then you go through a really hard time and you waste a couple years of your life and you're really hoping that he's going to ask you and then he goes away for a season and then he comes back because you're just the love of his life that he can't live without but the time that he's gone you've realized that he's really not the love of your life and you can live without him <laughs> and you and probably you took should. him back and I took him back you know at the advice of my pastor and my friends and oh you have to have mercy and you have to give him a chance and I'm like but I don't really feel like giving him a chance. Okay, but fine. I'll concede and I'll do it. And I did. And it was awful. Um, he's a fabulous person. But uh, together, we we were just not going to make it. And, and we didn't. So um, I've, I've dated over the years. And I think another thing, Condes, that brought me to this book was just in really realizing how angry I had become with God that and all the people who told me that Jesus should be enough. That's where the title comes from. Hmm. Jesus should be enough, Monica. You know, maybe when Jesus is en- is enough, then he'll bless you with your Boaz. Why can't you just be satisfied? Why do you have to have a husband? Maybe you idolize marriage, you know, all the things that that married Christian women. Or maybe God has identified you to be a single woman. Yes, that too. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, then why do I have this desire to be a a partner? a helpmate to someone else's life. Um, So all of that just led me to a place of craziness where I was like, if I hear this one more time that Jesus should be enough business, I'm going to go nuts. But but what I realized, Condes, is that I was living like even though he's more than enough, I wasn't, my life did not reflect that in any way, shape, or form. I would have moments uh, where it would appear that Jesus was my all in all. But it wasn't until... Um, again, I had to bust out of the religious narrative and get down into the application of life and say, okay, what about this person who's asked me out on a date? Is this person even someone I should entertain just because I'm lonely or just because I can, just because he's a nice person? Does that mean that this is a door that I should open into my heart? So it was really inviting him in to say, kind of like a father or a best friend, hey, what do you think about this idea? And then listening to the advice if the answer was no, or if the answer was yes. Hmm. So throughout this journey that you've taken and that you take us through in your book, When Jesus Isn't Enough, what have you learned about yourself? Oh, gosh, so much. But I've learned that um, I've learned that I'm good. I've learned that. What does that mean? That means that because I am his daughter because I am a daughter of God because I'm a blood-bought daughter that that makes me good that that surpasses um, any of my behavior but because of that because of that birthright it inspires me to be good it inspires me to be the woman that he has called me to be it inspires me to pursue him to find out more about who I am it inspires me um to know that I show up even though I'm afraid, which makes me, people, people see me and they hear me and they're like, oh, you're so, you're so fearless. I'm like, that's not true. I have, I'm a lot like Gideon and I reason with God quite a bit. I'm like, I need you to show me the signs, like all of them (laughs) and then I'll go. But I do go, I go, whether the signs are there or they're not, I show up. So it's taught me that I am strong um, in my weakness, that I can count on him because in my weakness, his strength is 
made perfect. So these aren't just, these aren't just scriptures that I quote. Like they are, I've lived it. I've lived the hell. So I've, I've watched my husband die. I've been through a lot of abuse in my life. I have been heartbroken more times than I can count. I've watched my daughter almost die three or four times. Um, and I'm still standing. So it's taught me that I'm a tenacious, um, mighty, powerful, courageous, um, fearful at times, yet very tender and sensitive. I don't have to step on men to be who I am as a woman. Um, but you don't have to dumb it down either. I do not. And I don't. I do not. I show up with exactly the gift set that I have um, and the skill set that I have, which is really um, not from an academic place as much as a relational place. All the things that I brought with me through my years in ministry, ministering to people, probably taught me more about myself than anything, that we all bleed the same color. We all have the same inadequacies, the same fears, the same insecurities. Some of us are just better at concealing it than others. With all that you've experienced, all that you've learned, all that you've survived, what is the one lesson that you pray your daughter takes with her mm -hmm. once you're gone? Oh, goodness. The one lesson. Well, we just talked about this recently, actually, on, on a visit home. Um, she was talking about her identity. So I pray that her identity always remains rooted. And she said that it would. She said, you know, Mom, I don't really doubt uh, my worth to the extent that you do because you've raised me with, with, in, with inherent worth. Like, I deserve to exist. I deserve to show up and, and be who I am and be the best, you know, whoever I am at that season of my life, be the best at that. Um, and that's probably what I hope my legacy is for her is that that she never quits, that she doesn't apologize for who she is, and she doesn't ask for permission, but that she would remain humble and grateful in knowing that she has a place at the table of life and she doesn't have to identify. Um, she's a biracial uh, young lady, and I've always raised her to believe that she is first a woman of God. She's not first a woman of color. She's not first a biracial young lady. She is first a woman of God, and she was created to be an asset. So I hope that's the legacy that I leave for her, that she realizes that she is an asset, not because the world tells her she is, but because God created her to be one. So the book is When Jesus Isn't Enough because there are times when that may be the situation. The author is Monica Matthews. If people want to find you and get a copy of your book, Monica, how do they do that? Yeah, you can find me on monicamatthews.com, and I'm also on Amazon. I believe my Kindle version is uh, should be up and running by now, uh, e-version. So, but the quickest way is monicamatthews.com. Do you go out and do speaking events at, you know, uh, women's seminars and, and church groups and things like that? I do, I do, and I actually, and I, and I speak to a broad... Uh, audience. What does uh, that mean? About a, well, for instance, I just did an a, audience of broads. That's not a nice thing to say <laughs> during Women's History Month. Exactly. That's hilarious. I speak to a wide array of women, um, but I speak to a number of issues. So it's not just, hey, we're all single and lonely. And, you know, what about this Jesus thing and Jesus being our date on Friday night? It's about, hey, once you get it down in your soul that you have a right to be at the table, what are you going to do with it? So I speak with women um, around areas of business, 
um, as part of my coaching in politics, you know, kind of drawing women back out of um, out of their insecurities back onto the landscape of life and being in and be, you know, and showing up with a wholeness that maybe they didn't have before they read the book. All right. Last thing, folks like to find people on social media and interact. Uh, let us know where we can find you on uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook. You've oh, got those sure. Things going. I'm very active on Twitter <laughs> and there's never a dull moment. Uh, it's Monica on air talk. And my uh, Facebook page is the Monica Matthews. And again, at my website, monicamatthews.com. I'm on Instagram and I think it's all things Monica. I'm pretty sure I'm not as active on that, but I am on Twitter. Alrighty then. This has been lovely. Thanks so much, Monica. Thanks for having me. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.